empty praise and treasures that fade never enough. And you came along. You came along. Put me back together. Now every desire is now satisfied.
Valentine's Day. I saw a couple of guys go, oh no. Yes, it is. Happy Valentine's Day. 
Glad that you are here. Uh, if you're a guest, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so good to have you with us today. If you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is to simply grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to the number on the screen. 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT and that will give us a little bit of information from you just so we can know who you are and how we can pray for you, minister to you in the best way possible. But while you're all here... Very quickly, I've got three big announcements for you, all right? These are our three big three for the day we want everyone to know about. Number one is this, baptism. Uh, we're going to have a baptism on March 7th, and we're going to have the baptism class next Sunday, February 21st. So uh, we already have a class full. If you're interested, sign up. You text BAPTISM to the number, 910-424-1298. Text BAPTISM. That'll get you signed up for the class. And then you'll be able to take part in the baptism on March 7th. Second thing, missions. Uh, March 13th, we're going to have a missions dinner. Uh, we're also going to be having some items for sale uh, uh, so that you can go through the uh, FLC, and if you're interested in buying something, typically we do an auction. We're not going to do that this year, uh, but you are going to be able to walk through and look for items and purchase those, as well as purchasing a meal. And that money is going to all 100% go to our missions ministry to help pay for missions and mission trips for us right here in Southview. You can go out either door, and you're going to find a table uh, that's going to be selling tickets. So you can sign up for that, buy a ticket. That's going to be March 13th. And then last of all, March 6th, our ladies are going to have a breakfast. Uh, Saturday, March 6th, starting at 9 o'clock. A chance for our ladies to come together, encourage one another, spend some time together. You can sign up for that by texting the word breakfast for that. So we'd love to have you come be a part of that. I know you'll meet a lot of great ladies and have some good food. Uh, any other announcements that we have, we encourage you to download the Southview Baptist Church app. You can do that uh, through Google Play or the Apple Store. Download that app. That'll give you all the announcements for all the ministries. Anything that you'll ever want to know to be a part of Southview, that app is going to tell you how to do it. You can also give through that. You can give as you leave uh, here or any of the boxes that we have set up for giving, or you can give online through the app, whatever works best for you. So we encourage you to download that. Well, like I said, today is Valentine's Day. And with it being Valentine's Day, we obviously, this is the time for us to focus in on love. So I want to read a scripture to you as we begin our worship time together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See what kind of love. The word see, some of your uh, translations may use the word behold. It's more than just kind of a glance. It's more than just, oh, I, I see that. It, it, it's, it's beholding. The idea behind it is there's a difference between glancing at something and staring so deeply that you're burning it into your brain, right? Those two are different. And, and it's talking about the latter. Look so, with the eyes of your heart, look so intently into the love of God. And see what specifically, what kind of love the Father has given to us. What kind? What, what's how deep, how immense, how huge, how life-changing. Look deeply into the love of God and see how great and glorious and amazing His love for you really is. His love so great, what? That we should be called children of God. And we're made children of God because... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. I, I want to encourage you this morning. I really believe 
The reason that we get so absolutely beside ourselves in this life because things throw us off so quickly and easily, whether big things or little things. I think one of the things that that allows us to stay the course and not be thrown off so much is when we are so convinced of God's immense, unbelievable, glorious love of us. When you realize how much God loves you, you're able to walk through and navigate the things of this world. You're able to experience heartache and pain and difficulty, knowing that this in no way changes God's love for you. Nothing that anyone does on this earth changes in any way God's love for you. And so you are so convinced of that, you're able to experience anything else. I want to encourage you just to bow your heads just for a moment. We're going we're gonna to go into a time of prayer before we worship together. A missionary by the name of Andrew Murray, who uh, wrote a lot of phenomenal things on prayer and uh, living a spirit-filled life, I'd encourage uh, you to read the works of Andrew Murray. It'll be very beneficial. But I love one of the things that Murray said. He said, I am so convinced of the love of God that I can walk through hell with a smile. I'm so convinced of God's love for me that I can walk through anything this world might give. I want to pray for us this morning that God would allow us to see that kind of love. That we're not thrown off, we're not beside ourselves, we're not absolutely befuddled by the things of this world. We're so convinced of the love of God that we can even walk through hell with a smile. Not because we're oblivious to the situation, not because we're Pollyannish and, and, and pie in the sky, but because we are so bedrock convinced of God's unshaking, unwielding, unbelievable love for me, that he would send his own son to die so that I can now be his kid. You're so overwhelmed by that level of love for you, nothing in this world can shake it. So Lord, that is what we pray over your people today. And on this Valentine's Day, I pray that that kind of love, love that cannot be expressed in balloons and chocolate, but is expressed only with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Pray that kind of love becomes so real in our hearts that it radically changes the way we view everything else that touches us. Let us experience that kind of love. Let us see and behold that kind of love from you today, Lord, and worship you accordingly. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand, guys. Let's worship together. Good morning, church. Light of that truth. Let's celebrate. Celebrate God today. I was buried in my shame.
praise you. We applaud you today. Scripture says that you are our judge, that you are our lawgiver, that you are our king, that you will save us. So God, have your work in our hearts. Turn us ever closer to you, Lord, that we might look and see a holy God and bow before you. Go before us. Go behind us. Lead the way, Lord. You are a God that saves. Let's sing these words today. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. Gather together, lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. Sing that again, church. Name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. Gather together, lift up your name.
guys may be seated. Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, as we're just coming off the heels of just praising God for his salvation, I want to drive that into a time of prayer and have that be our, our thought that God saves. And I want to focus in specifically on one particular thing that we want God to save. So today is Valentine's Day. And, and as we're going into our corporate prayer time, uh, each week we, we focus on a different aspect of the Lord's Prayer, teaching us how to pray. And, and as Jesus is praying and teaching to pray, he says, pray, asking the Lord to provide this day our daily bread. And what he's talking about there is the fact that God provides our needs. He provides for us. We can present our request to him and he will provide. And I want to focus today specifically on God providing. Uh, in terms of marriages being Valentine's Day, I want us to focus in on that. So real quick history lesson. Valentine's Day uh, is named after a pastor, believe it or not, named Valentinius. So here's the story. Rome rules the world from England to India. And there are no airplanes. And so the only way you can uh, control a land mass that large is with an enormous army. So they seek to have this gigantic army spread all across the known world, bringing the rule of Rome with it. Well, the problem, though, is that when a man goes off in the Roman army to who knows what part of the empire, it's years, years before he potentially gets back home again. You think deployments are long now. I mean, you're talking potentially there's some stories of a decade or more, if ever, coming home, and there's no line of communication to know when they're going home and what's happening. And so they're building this army, they're building this army, they're building this army. But what they're finding is this. Young men are getting married, and they don't want to leave their wives and children, so they're not joining the army. So in order to stop this from happening, Rome passed a law that only they can determine who gets married, when they get married, and what that looks like. Government trying to control marriage has been a long-used tool. And so marriages were outlawed and they had to be sanctioned by the Roman government. And any young military-aged male who could potentially serve in the army was not permitted to marry. Because they knew that would be a divided focus they wouldn't want to go. So Valentinius, this pastor, believing God's word, believing that marriage was God's idea and that the government cannot change the definition of it to suit their means, started performing secret marriages, wedding ceremonies in the woods. And they had all this, these schemes together as to how they were going to, you know, have it together and what's going to happen. And, and they had these special emblems that they would wear on their person to, so everyone around them knew that they were married, but the Roman uh, government wouldn't know. Uh, this was eventually discovered, and Valentinius was brought before the officials and told to quit or be thrown in jail. And Valentinius, being a man full of love and life in Jesus, said, you'll just have to throw me in jail. So they did, which he then took that as an opportunity to tell everybody in jail about Jesus. But that's a different story. 
But the whole point of Valentine's Day, I know it's been turned into a Hallmark movie, but the, the original idea of Valentine's Day was to celebrate marriage. How it was God's idea, God's plan, God's institution, and God blesses it. And that was the whole point originally of Valentine's Day. So I'd like for us to take some time this morning, and I want us to pray specifically for marriages. I want to pray in one vein. Um, In teaching on marriage, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, this is what Jesus said. So, talking about husbands and wives, they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. He's referencing back to the book of Genesis where God took Adam and Eve and made them one in the first marriage. We're no longer two, but one in some real spiritual sense. And what God has joined together, no one, not even you, can really tear apart. So here's my prayer for us today. More so than better communication... More so than really uh, understanding how to love one another in their best love language. Those things are great. Those things can be really, really, really valuable and important. But for our purposes today, what I want to focus on is very simply that we in this room, God would give us the vision to see our marriage the way he sees our marriage. Because if we actually saw our marriage the way God saw our marriage, we'd probably interact in our marriage a lot differently than we do. Things like communications and love languages would start to get worked out a little easier. The problem for many of us is we're still seeing it as separate. My life and your life. And yeah, we have some together. But that's not the way God views it. God views it as he has made you one. And he desires for you to live out that oneness for his glory. So our prayer today, as we present our needs to the Lord... I think our big need right now is that we would see marriage the way God sees it. See our spouse the way God sees our spouse. That he would give us fresh eyes to really see and love and care the way he desires. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we're going to pray. And I would encourage you, if you're, if you're here with your spouse, you pray with them. If, if you're not here with your spouse, that's perfectly fine. We're not going to do anything to you know, make you feel uncomfortable or, or, or singled out. But if you are, you can pray with your spouse. Um, if you're not, you can just pray where you are. If you're not married, pray uh, for marriages that are in this room or your future spouse one day, perhaps. But let's pray that God in His grace would allow us to see our marriages the way He sees them. Let's just take a couple of minutes. Let's just set that before the Lord.
Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, God, for marriage. We thank you, God, for the gift that marriage is. We thank you, Lord, that you just, i got to be honest, in just one of your better ideas, you created marriage. Lord, I just thank you for that. And I pray today for your people, God, that we would see marriage the way that you see it, that we would pursue it the way that you call us to pursue it. We would love one another, see one another the way that you see it. I pray blessings on marriages here in this room. I pray that 2021 holds just wonderful, wonderful answers to prayer when it comes to marriage. I pray, God, for marriages that may truly be struggling, whether they're in this room or not. I just, God, I just pray for those. And I know that they're here. And God, I, I stand as one who used to be in a marriage that was a struggle. But I thank you, God, that by your grace, you brought us through. And I pray that's exactly what you'll do for everyone here in this room. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We trust you. Thank you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Hey, if you've got a Bible, let's find the book of Acts together. Acts chapter 1. While you're finding that, one more quick thing in terms of announcements as you go out uh, to the welcome desk. We've got some letters out there for you. In two weeks, we're going to have a special business meeting after the 11 o'clock service. Um, our face-to-faith ministry, which is our homeless ministry, um, one of our longest-running and uh, most fruitful ministries here at our church. They've been going for, I guess, 16, 17 years at this point. Every Friday night, going downtown, ministering uh, to the homeless community, sharing the gospel, seeing people come to faith in Christ, providing needs for them, clothing, that sort of thing. Uh, so over the last year or so, the leadership, our pastoral team and our admin team, we've been talking through um, helping that ministry out, providing them with some things that they're in need of if they're going to continue to grow and expand. And one of those things is a building to be able to house all their stuff and be able to sort it effectively. So we're um, setting before you the admin team, and we'll vote on it in two weeks. We want to build them a building in the back, all right? So the cost is going to be about $45,000. We've been working on it for about a year, getting all the plans together, getting it as cost-effective as possible, finding the right um, uh, uh, builders and all of that. So we think we settled in on a good plan. Um, the cost of the project is probably going to be about $40,000. we are asking for forty five dollars because if you've ever built, built anything, there's always something that happens. So we're asking for forty-five, just to be on the safe side, and then whatever's not used, we'll just put back in the fund, all right? Um, but you can find a letter in the back that'll explain that a little bit better. If you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them for you, and then we'll have a uh, quick family meeting after the 11 o'clock service in two weeks to vote on that and be able to get that going for you. All right, very good. Acts chapter 1. So we began our study in Acts last week and saw that Jesus was... um, Charging his followers with a huge mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that mission is still going. That mission is still on for us today. You see this because it's interesting. The book of Acts doesn't end. Like it ends, like it stops. Acts stops and then it you know, keeps going um, to, to the next book. But, but the story in Acts keeps going. It ends with the apostle Paul in Rome sharing the gospel. And it says the gospel is going out unhindered and then it just stops. And the reason it does that is because while the book of Acts ends, and eventually the life of the Apostle Paul ends, the mission that we're called to never ends until Jesus comes back. 
So the idea is we're still on this mission. And so he's set this mission on us. And the only way we can fulfill this mission is if we're filled and empowered with the Spirit. The only way we're filled and empowered with the Spirit is if we're treasuring Jesus above all things. We looked at that last week. Today we're going to go through and we're going to see one of the most important and really interesting stories in the Bible um, was simply known as Pentecost, the Spirit of God coming on the people of God, and then subsequently from that, the birth of the church. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 1 in verse 12. So we ended last week with Jesus telling his disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we see that happening in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. They obeyed from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Every Jew was allowed to travel about half a mile on the Sabbath, so they were about half a mile away. So they went back to Jerusalem, verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip. Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Not the same Judas that betrayed Jesus. Different Judas, just a really unfortunate name, all right? So they go back, they go up to this upper room, perhaps the same upper room that they had the Last Supper in, where, where Jesus instituted the, the communion, Lord's Supper, perhaps even the same upper room. They go up to that upper room. Verse 14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves uh, to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they're up there um, with Mary, Jesus' mom, Jesus' brothers, who are now followers of Jesus. And I love this because if you read the Gospels, the brothers and sisters of Jesus, they literally, one time, they go to Jesus to bring him home because it says they thought he was crazy. Right? They thought it was insane. Not, all, not just like, mm, you know, that's my kooky brother. Right? They thought he was nuts. So they went to go get crazy Jesus and bring him back home to Nazareth. But Jesus dies. He rises again. They physically see him rose from the grave. I mean, this is one of the great proofs, I think, that Christianity is true. Because the brothers of Jesus, two we know specifically, James and Jude, became followers of Jesus pastors in the Christian church, and wrote books of the Bible, right? They worshiped their brother as God. Anybody here have an older brother? Do you, are you under the thought that maybe that older brother is God? No, Satan possibly. God probably not. And so the fact that James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus, become worshipers of Jesus is one of the greatest proofs that this thing is legit. Verse 15, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of the persons was in all about 120, and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. At some point in this 10-day period, they're, they're in for 10 days from Jesus telling them to go to when the Holy Spirit we're going to see eventually come. About 10 days. At some point during that 10 days, Peter stands up and says, All right, Judas betraying Jesus and us having to um, uh, fulfill his spot is actually prophesied by God in the Bible. As you keep reading, he would eventually quote Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 as 
scriptural proof that God knew this was all going to happen, right? God's not thrown off by bad people. Bad people doing bad things does not keep God up in heaven going, oh me, what am I going to do? Right? He, he knew, he laid it out in the scriptures, and now Peter is leading the men to select someone new. Verses 21 through 26 lay out kind of this process. The qualifications um, were that someone had to be followers of Jesus uh, since the baptism of John. You can see that in Matthew chapter 3. All the way up through the ascension, right? So they had to, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he was baptized by John, all the way through his earthly ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It's someone that had to see the whole deal, all right? They had to physically see the resurrected Jesus. And so they brought two. They brought one guy, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. He's not really sure what he wants to be named as. And then another guy named Matthias. They cast um, lots which is sort of a, an Old Testament way of discerning the will of God. And the Lord guides him to Matthias, and Matthias becomes the twelfth apostle. Then jump down to chapter 2. This is when things get interesting. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. So now we're going to chat in just a little bit about Pentecost and why that's significant. God does nothing by accident. The fact that this event happened on this day, Pentecost, is going to be extraordinarily significant. Right? The word Pentecost means 50th, and it means that this was the 50th day after Passover. Right? Jesus died on Passover. He rose again. He stayed with his disciples for 40 days, then he ascended up into heaven. It was another 10-day stretch where they're in the upper room praying, and then that's 50 days, 40 plus 10, 50. So the 50th day, this is Pentecost, they're gathered in the upper room together. Verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. So you have two things happening here, right? So this sound of a mighty rushing wind, and literally mighty rushing wind means a forceful wind. We're in eastern North Carolina. This is a hurricane, all right? A cat five just landed in the room. It is whirling violently around. We get this picture of like, you're sitting there, and also. And like a little match, like a little light, or a little bit, just go boop on their head. That is not what is being described here. A violent hurricane comes flying through the room, and then tongues of fire are dancing on all of their heads. Can we, can we agree that's different? Right now, now that's unique. And what's happening here is, the Spirit of God is coming. He's, he's coming. The fact that He comes as wind and comes as fire is significant. As you read through the Bible, wind and fire are both used symbolically to describe God and His presence. He's, he's saying here, I am here. Right? God is here. Something goofy and weird isn't happening. God is here. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance okay real quick what's going on here 
what we're clearly going to see in the verses that follow is what's happening is they're filled with the Spirit of God, and then they're beginning to speak other known languages. We're going to see that very clearly spelled out here in just a few moments, all right? This isn't a prayer language. This isn't a spirit groaning. Now, there are scriptures that speak to those things, and that's another sermon for another day, and we'll get to those. But that's not what's happening here. What's clearly happening here is they are speaking known languages that, that it, it would be like if I, if I stand up right now and just start speaking fluent French flawlessly, right? And I don't even sound like a hick when I do it. I don't sound like I'm from southern France. Like I'm just, I'm just spitting in perfect French. You're like, I didn't know you, speak, you spoke French. I'm like, me neither, wee oui, wee. Oui. Like I had no idea. Right? That's what's happening here, okay? They're just they're being able to speak in a language they personally don't know, but someone else that is their language, and then they're able to hear and understand. Is that making sense? So, so the next verses kind of show that. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Right? Got that. Verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these uh, who are speaking Galileans? Right? They're saying, These guys don't know my language. And how is it that we hear each of us in our native language? And then it lists them all off. Verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia. Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and, uh, and Arabians, were hearing them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. They thought they were drunk. So clearly what's happening here is, again, the Spirit of God is filling them. They're proclaiming the gospel in languages that they don't personally know. But a whole bunch of other people know them. And what you're going to do... So um, next, what follows in the Scriptures is Peter's going to stand up and preach. And we'll look at that in a couple of weeks. We're going we're gonna to dive into that. And then we're going to see also that... As he preaches, about 3,000 people get saved. We see that in verse 41. And then in verse 42, we're going to see those 3,000 people start getting put together in the church. Right, So they're gathering together, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the prayers, to the breaking of bread, uh, to, to spending time together. Right, So they're, they're doing all these things together, forming the church. But here's what I want us to do today. Uh, look back again at verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to another, what does this mean? Great question, and that's the question that we're going to tackle. What does this mean? What is going on here? What does it mean? What did it mean for them? What was happening here? What does it mean for us today? All right, so that's what we're going to jump in and by God's grace see. All right, so three big things that we're going to see. Just to kind of help put some hooks on this and what does this mean. Number one is this. God is saving people from all nations and backgrounds. I, I mentioned that this was Pentecost and that's significant. Significant for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
There are three main high holy days where Jews from all over the world came to Jerusalem. One of those was Pentecost. Pentecost was chosen because it was going to be a day where people from all over the world were going to be there. Second is this. Pentecost also celebrates harvest. It's also called the, 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 the Feast of Weeks. And it's celebrating the first harvest coming in from the year. What Pentecost celebrates is the fact that it's time to reap. It's time to bring in the harvest. And so having the Spirit of God come on Pentecost is significant because it is celebrating the fact that God is now coming to bring in a harvest. He is saving people from all over the place. You see that? Because as you were to go back through chapter 1, you've got... 16 different people groups that are mentioned in verses 7 through 11 there in in Acts chapter 2. 16 different people groups, all hearing the gospel in their own language. Uh, A lot of Bible scholars will also say that what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is kind of an undoing of the Tower of Babel. So in Genesis chapter 11, you have the people, they have one language, and they gather together to build this tower. They're like, we're going to build this tower, and nothing is going to be impossible for us. We're going to do great, and I love it. They're building this great tower to heaven, and in Genesis 11, this tower that they, they're so big, they can't even see the top of it. It's like, look what we've done. And in Genesis 11, it says God had to come down to see their big tower. I just love that. Like, oh, that tower's so big. I've got to get close. I can't see it. So he comes down, confuses their languages, and that's where we get all these different languages for the Scripture. And then in Acts chapter 2, though, you have all these different languages coming together. It's the exact opposite happening. They, They came together in Genesis 11 and had one language, and boom, God broke up their languages. They had to separate. In Acts chapter 2, they come together with different languages, not understanding one another. God speaks, boom, and they all hear as one, and God's bringing them together again. God is bringing a harvest from the ends of the earth. What this means for us is this. God is seeking to save people from everywhere, all nations, all backgrounds, all stripes, all types, everyone, everywhere, all the time. Here's what this means for you and I. That means the people in your life too. Isn't that so great? He's looking to save the people in your life as well. Right now, envision the people in your mind that you're wanting to see come to faith in Jesus. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a parent, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker. Someone you've been praying for for a long time. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God coming in this way on Pentecost is saying, God is looking to bring in the harvest. He told his disciples in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send in workers to his harvest field. It's time to reap a harvest. Everywhere we go, there are souls in need and ready to be reaped as a harvest for the kingdom of God. Everywhere we go. And Pentecost, God, Spirit of God coming on Pentecost is showing us God is desiring to do this. Marie and I saw this yesterday. We went to Target. So we're in Target, and, and so we, we finished, and so we walked over to the little Starbucks to get some coffee. So we're standing in line, and there's a, uh, a young mom in front of us with a buggy full of kids. And so she's clearly fumbling and trying to do something and looking and wanting to. And so we said, can we help you with something? Can we help you in any way? She's like, can you watch my kids for a second? I just got to go right there and get this. We're like, all right. 
Right? So, they, so she walks off, and Marie and I, you know, we're these little kids, and we're just, you know, masks. All you see is eyeballs from these strangers. I mean, I mean, talk about stranger danger right here. So we're like, hey, we're trying to talk to the kids. And so eventually mom comes back over, just a second or two. She comes back over. And I said, thank you so much. Oh, that's no, no problem at all. And so it's clearly, again, she's got her hands full. She's got a lot going on. So we're trying to strike up a conversation. We'll just talk with her, encourage her. Listen, four kids, been there, done that. Not long ago, ours were itty-bitties like that too. We understand. I, I lost one at Walmart to the point they had to shut the whole place down once. True story. Get it. And so, um, so anyway, we're just, we're talking, and again, we're in line, and, and so she's trying, still trying to, run in, so she, she gets there, and she's still kind of fumbling around to get all her stuff, and so we just, Marie said, we just need to take care of this, like, yeah, 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 let's take care of this. So she, she jumped up in front and just said, here, we're just going to take care of your coffee for you, don't worry about it. She's like, no, 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 you can do it. Yes, yes, just, we got it, just don't worry about it. We're going to take care of that for you. Enjoy your coffee. Have a great day. Get a cake pop for the kids. Great. Have a, have, a, have a wonderful day. She turned around. She said, what church did you people say you go to again? Well, Southview, across in Hope Mills. Like she grabbed her phone. Let me write that down. What's going on there? That is us wanting and desiring and seeing with God's eyes that the harvest is plentiful everywhere we go. You're going to leave here today, and you're going to go eat dinner at lunch somewhere. And there's going to be a waiter or a waitress. How are you showing them that you, as a spiritful follower of Christ, are different than everyone else they're going to interact with today? The Spirit of God coming on Pentecost shows us that His desire is to save souls. His desire is to bring in a harvest. And that brings the second thing, second point. His desire is bringing a harvest, and God calls us to be the spirit-empowered gospel proclaimers. This is so great. Every time, Acts chapter 2 and following the book of Acts, every single time the Spirit of God fills a person, it always results in them proclaiming the gospel. Every time. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15, Luke 141, Luke 167, Acts 2, 4, Acts 4, 8, Acts 4, 31, Acts 9, 29. All of these, they're filled with the Spirit of God and immediately begin proclaiming the gospel. God has called you to do this. The fact that every one of these people in this room, and the implication is all 120 are experiencing this. It's not just the 12 apostles. All of them, Mary the mother of Jesus, the brothers of Jesus, the other hundred or so followers of Jesus, they're all filled with the Spirit of God, proclaiming the, God in these, the gospel of God in these languages. It is on all of them. You are called by God to be a Spirit-filled proclaimer of the good news. This is so good. And I know the immediate pushback is, whoa, 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 whoa. I am. I don't have what it takes. I am not qualified for that. that. That is for other people, and I give my money so that other people can go do that. That's not my deal. Yes, it is your deal. In just a couple of weeks, again, we're going to tackle this sermon that Peter preaches here in just a moment. And he preaches a sermon out of the, God, out of the book of Joel in the Old Testament. And the whole point of the sermon is the Spirit of God is now falling on all of us, so that all of us can be proclaimers of the good news. The whole point of Pentecost is this, the Spirit of God is coming for every one of us. 
All of us as Christians are empowered, spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ proclaiming the gospel. Every single one of us. There's no one in this room, no one in this room who is too less, too low, can't do it. In fact, let me ask you this. Jesus, when he was in the Gospels, he said that there was one man who was the greatest prophet ever. Anyone know who that guy is? John the Baptist. I heard a, I heard a very faint, I don't want to be wrong in public. John the Baptist, yes. Jesus said the greatest prophet ever is John the Baptist. You know what else he said right after that? But whoever is the least in the kingdom of God is even greater than him. Right now in this room, there's somebody in the room who's the least. All right? Just wait. Everyone right now, turn around and point to who you think is the least. No, I'm joking. Don't do that. I'm joking. I'm joking. If you're sitting in this room and you think, I am, I'm just a little person over in the corner. I am the least in this whole thing. These people are gifted. These people have it together. These people know what they're doing. I don't know Psalm from Psalm and Job from Job. I don't know any of this. I don't know what I'm doing here. I am least. Jesus says, you are greater than even John the Baptist. Why? Because you are filled and empowered with the Spirit of God. This is true for all of us. The Holy Spirit coming on Pentecost on all of these believers is telling you, you, brothers and sisters, you are empowered by God to be His Spirit-filled proclaimer of the gospel. Third, last look at this. Last thing. God desires that we would seek continual filling of the Holy Spirit. So, there's a difference between being sealed with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, and I'll take you to the Bible to prove that. Go to Ephesians. We'll throw it up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. So Ephesians 1, verse 13, here's what the Lord says. Ephesians 1, 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you have the sealing there. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When does it say that happened? Well, it tells you. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. Right? So this is salvation. When you become a Christian, you are sealed up with the Holy Spirit. At that moment, you are sealed up with the Spirit of God. You receive the Holy Spirit. You're sealed up with the Holy Spirit. It's not some second blessing that comes down the road. At the moment of salvation, you 100% receive the Spirit of God. <clears throat> then, there's this. Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The command here to be filled in the Greek, pleruste, it's, it's a present imperative, and, and it doesn't describe a one-time filling. It describes a regular pattern of life. So what he's telling you here is there is to be a regular seeking of the Spirit of God to fill and empower your life. In fact, as you go through the book of Acts, you're going to find six times in the book of Acts that someone who already had the Spirit of God is filled again with the Spirit of God. I'll get them to you. Acts 4.8, Peter, 
was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke boldly to the elders. Acts 4.31, the Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with boldness. Acts chapter 6, the first deacons were filled with the Holy Spirit and served well. Acts chapter 9, Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit and confounded the Jews. Acts 11.24, the Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit and led many to Christ. Acts 13.9, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit and blinded an enemy of the faith. You have people who already possess, already are sealed up with the Spirit of God. And at the same time, there's some kind of empowering that has taken place in them that empowers them to even greater mission and ministry. Yes, you have received the Holy Spirit at salvation, and you are to seek a regular constant empowering and filling of the Holy Spirit in your everyday life. Again, that Ephesians 4.18. Don't be drunk with wine. What does getting drunk do? I know you personally never experienced this, but you got a friend, right? You do things drunk you would never have done sober. Right? You do things when you're drunk that you would never have done sober. And the implication is, don't do that. That leads to wickedness and sin and debauchery, and that's the sin that leads to more sins. Don't do that. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that filling with the Holy Spirit, you're doing things. Again, the implication is like alcohol makes you do something you wouldn't have done without the alcohol. The Spirit of God empowers you to do something you would not have done otherwise apart from Him. It empowers you for greater life and ministry in the Lord. Uh, One of the best examples, uh, illustrations I've heard from this, I'm, I'm I'm still from John Piper, who stole it from... David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I'm pretty sure just ripped it off from the Apostle Paul. But the idea is with my kids, if I go hiking with my kids, I've got my youngest, my seven-year-old, little Lottie, and we're walking on a trail, and, and I've got her hand. I'm holding her hand, and we're walking. Right Now, when I have her hand, I'm going to keep her steady. I'm going to keep her on the path. I'm going to keep her from falling and stumbling. I'm going to keep her safe. I'm going to guide her. I'm going to direct her. I'm walking her as I have her holding her hand. But there may come a time... And this is the way God is describing and filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is with you. You are sealed up with the Spirit of God, and He is there. He is guiding you. He is directing you. He is leading you. He is correcting you. He is empowering you. But then there comes a time ever so often where the Spirit of God scoops you up into His arms and says, you want to see something cool? Let's do something even greater. How do we live this? How do we have this? I want to ask our band to come up. How do you live a life filled and empowered with the Spirit of God to accomplish His mission? Well, the answer goes back to glorifying and making much of Jesus. Follow with me, track with me. The reason you do not live a life really empowered by the Holy Spirit of God is because, listen to me, you're spending all your energy on the stupid, worthless things of this world. Why would Christ give you greater empowerment of His Spirit when you're using your energy for dumb, fruitless things? What empowers us, what allows the Spirit of God to empower us in greater levels is when we're pursuing, chasing 
going after Jesus. That is what he wants to empower. That is what he wants to fill. And that is what he wants to enable us to do greater and greater and greater and greater and greater works in. Pursuing Jesus and pushing forward the mission of Jesus. Think about it like this. Imagine that uh, you find out you have a long-lost relative who is a millionaire. I know you get that email, some Nigerian prince. You're like, I didn't even know I was from Nigeria. That's awesome. But imagine one of those is actually true. Imagine that you had a long-lost relative, and they were truly legitimately... By the way, if you ever get that email, delete that. Don't, that's not true, all right? But imagine it's true. And you're on your way to the bank to sign the paperwork to officially become a millionaire. And you're driving all the way to the bank with your beater car. I mean, it is held together by duct tape and Christian bumper stickers. It is a piece of junk. You're driving down the road. You're half a mile from the bank. And that car breaks down. What are you going to do? Are you going to get out, slam the door, and kick that car? That stupid car. Always ruining my life. I was this close, and I was all ruined. So dumb. Forget it. Forget it. I'll never get there. And you call a wrecker, and you get a mechanic to come and get that car, and you spend all the money that you have trying to fix that ridiculous car so you can maybe one day get back to the bank. No, you don't do that. That car breaks down a half mile from the bank. What do you do? You get out, throw the keys in the ditch, and you skip all the way to the bank. Right, you couldn't care less. Cumberland County can have the car, tow it off, do whatever you want to do with it. Could not care less. Why? You are so excited about the treasures that are before you, you couldn't care less about these dumb things from your previous lives. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. The reason many of us are not filled and empowered with the Spirit of God and living a life that glorifies Jesus, filled in the power with the Spirit, is because we keep getting sidetracked on the dumb things of life. You're focused on your broke-down, beater car when the glorious treasures of Jesus Christ are waiting for you. You're focused on this life. Remember, Jesus said the only way you get the future life is if you die to this one. The reason you are not living a life empowered with the Spirit of God, living out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere you go, the reason we're not doing that is because we are totally consumed with the things of this world, the hurt and the failures, and they said a mean thing, and they did a bad thing, and I don't like this, and I got my feelings hurt, and all this is wrong, and I don't... We're stuck on the stuff of this life. Our band is going to lead us, and I'm not going to ask you to stand and sing. I want you to stay seated, and I want you to spend some time in your mind, in the spirit, taking the keys of this old beater life, throwing them in the ditch, and skipping to Jesus. Jesus is my greatest and glorious treasure. I just want him i love him i desire him and as you desire him and seek after him you are going to be filled and empowered with the spirit of god to seek him and his mission even more lord jesus i ask that you would do this in us i ask that you would show us lord what you desire to show us 
Let us experience all that you have for us. Jesus, let us see how great and glorious a treasure you are. And let us turn from any silly thing that's stopping us from pursuing you with all that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus, we just thank you that you are there in the midst of every place and everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, Jesus, that we would see that you are there, value you as the greatest treasure of the universe, the greatest treasure of our lives. I pray, Lord, that as we see you as who you are, and pursue an intimate relationship with you as our greatest gift and treasure, the giver of all good things. You will fill us, empower us with your spirit to seek you even more and advance your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Happy Valentine's Day.